it's so easy to begin to think that we're just, you know, one of a million people who do what we do in the arts. Nothing special about us. What we do, nothing special about that, and we'll never accomplish much for the glory of God. Well, my guest today would strongly disagree. It's your uniqueness that the Lord desires to use in this world for his purposes. Howdy, disciples, and welcome to the Creator's Calling podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Matson, and I am delighted to have as my guest one of the most unique voices in Western art today, Kim Wiggins. Now, Kim has a very special place in the art world and a unique vision that the Lord has given him and has put him here to use. If you've ever struggled with feeling lost in the crowd, get ready. The Lord's looking at you right now. Kim Wiggins, welcome to the Creator's Calling podcast. Hey, thanks, Kurt. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate uh, you tapping me for it. Oh, man, I tell you, I have so looked forward to having you on the show. Uh, one of the things I think well, you have, there is so much to talk about with you, with your art, with what the Lord's done here in your life and that. And uh, I've always admired your boldness for the Lord. And the fact that you have done something really hard, and that is you've developed such a unique voice within the genre of the Western art world specifically, but it speaks to such a broad audience. And boy, there's just so much there. So I'm thank really you. excited. Thank you. I'm very, very grateful for the, the gifting the Lord's given me. And I, uh, you know, love pe people uh, and I love seeing God work in their lives. Oh, man. Well, let's start here. Let's start a little bit with your personal background, you know, where you were raised, your family, your interests, those kinds of things. And then take us into how did you come to know Jesus as your Savior? Okay. Um, my personal background, uh, I, I come from a ranching background. I grew up uh, on a ranch in southern New Mexico in the uh, Pecos River Valley uh, area. Um as a young boy, um, growing up, you know, we uh, worked cattle and uh, all the other good things that go along with that. Later on, uh, after I uh, uh, graduated from high school, I went into the military uh, and I was in the military for about six years and uh, lived in Europe for about five uh, of that. And uh, I think that sort of uh, influenced my life. I ended up going into the art world early in my life. I did uh, sculpture and uh, a lot of smaller pieces, somewhat uh, in the vein of uh, Charles M. Russell's uh, small sculpture work that he did, uh, you know, coyotes and uh, mountain lions and bears and uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, were, you know, sort of the typical subject for me to work on as a young boy. And an art dealer um, from Scottsdale, uh, his name was Jim Clark, was traveling through New Mexico, and he was stopping at all the ranch headquarters. Uh, at the time, he had a number of Western art paintings, and so he was trying to sell them. And uh, he stopped at uh, our ranch and was visiting with my parents and showing them some paintings and stuff. And 
looked in the other room and saw some of my sculpture and uh, asked my parents uh, who, who it was, uh, uh, you know, and they said, oh, well, you know, that's our son. And so, uh, you know, he ended up taking a number of pieces out to Scottsdale and casting them into bronze and began marketing my work when I was 12. Wow. And so I entered the art market a long time ago, and it uh, certainly was, uh, although I didn't probably know it, it was certainly uh, just God opening doors early for me as a young man. Yeah. Wow. I had, you know, I did not know that. I didn't know about the whole thing when you started off, especially that young, uh, mm -hmm. doing sculpture. Mm -hmm. Oh, that yep, is doing so sculpture. And so um, I think it gave, uh, it, it gave me a heavy uh, background. Uh, most of my work, uh, although I'm, I'm known uh, as an oil painter now, I paint with a heavy impasto and I'm always thinking about uh, the work in uh, terms relative, I suppose, to my early background in sculpture. Uh, you know, God has given each one of us uh, certain senses that uh, allow us to communicate with the outside world. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the senses is sight, uh, but also one of the senses is touch and also taste. And so those things I'm always thinking about uh, as I do my work. My work has a high keyed color. I, uh, my, my father was a photojournalist. He worked for Sports Illustrated and Argosy and True and Life, all the big magazines during their heyday. Mm. And so um, we were, uh, uh, you know, I came, came from an artistic family. His brother was an artist. And my grandmother uh, painted as well, uh, never made a living as an artist. My uncle never made a living as an artist. I didn't think you could make a living as an artist, but uh, you know, over time God opened those doors for me and allowed me to make a, a living doing what I love. That is so interesting that you had uh, so much family background in the arts. Uh, I mm -hmm. bet they, they were probably really just so excited to see you pursuing that at such a young age. And I'm sure we're, we're quite encouraging about it. Yeah. My, my parents were very encouraging. Um, they took me all over the place. Um, I don't know if, if uh, you know, the, the artist collective has a, a, a podcast that I did with them that uh, sort of speaks uh, about a lot of the different artists that I met as a young man uh, mm -hmm. from Thomas Hart Benton and George O'Keefe uh, to Honor at Wyeth and Peter Hurd. And my parents were good friends with, uh, with the Hurds. And uh, actually Pete and my father traveled a good bit together because my father would go down to Mexico quite a bit. And Pete would go with him and take his sketchbook and, uh, and watercolors. And uh, while my dad worked on stories, well, Pete would, uh, would be working on a watercolor. And then my dad also used uh, Peter Hurd for um, some of his photography, especially uh, Pete was a, a great cowboy. And so a lot of the difficult shots that my father had, uh, he did adventure stories. And so uh, you know, some of those were, uh, you know, one of them was called Gallo, and it was of uh, a, uh, a real sort of uh, a popular Mexican sport where they would bury chickens in the sand along the beach uh, in Mexico, and they, the cowboys would ride by and sort of grab the chicken by the by the neck, and, you know, it's buried in the sand, and so they're having to absolutely hang on to the horse with their legs and that one arm is actually scooping the sand as they ride by 
and then later on they would have a, a barbecue that evening. And so uh, I know there's a, a great photo of, of Peter Hurd uh, uh, in the Gaio competition that my father did for uh, for that story. I think that was in Argosy magazine. Wow, <laughs> that's really a great story. What a wonderful way to, to grow up. That's really rich. Now, did your parents know the Lord? And how did that whole uh, whole thing come to where you came to know Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had an unusual upbringing in that respect. My uh, Both of my parents knew the Lord, but my father had been injured um, uh, in a in a church um, situation, mm-hmm. uh, he happened to go to a church that believed that they were the only true church. I guess is the best way to put it. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, he didn't believe that way, and so there was a, a situation where he was uh, uh, teaching a, a, a Sunday school class of young people and stuff, and um, that subject came up, and he ended up being um, ostracized from the church and really was severely hurt and never did go back. Uh, in my lifetime, uh, my dad uh, went to church twice that wow. I can ever remember. And uh, my mother, on the other hand, took us to church. We, we lived a long way out of town, but as often as she could on Sundays, she would mm-hmm. take us to church. And, um, you, you know, so it was sort of a, one of those situations uh, later on as we got older where, um, you know, my brother, I had a brother, older brother and a younger sister. We sort of were allowed to choose, okay, do you want to go to church with mom or do you want to stay home on the ranch with dad? You know, one of those situations. Oh. So it was a very uh, unusual situation and, and uh, certainly um, I, I think caused me to have to eventually definitely determine whether I wanted to follow Christ or or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel that my dad loved the Lord. Uh, on Sundays, he would listen to Mahalia Jackson and uh, just, um, you know, was uh, there was uh, usually a an evangelist that he enjoyed uh, listening to. And so um, you know, I know that he loved the Lord, but uh, like I said, he was he was uh, severely hurt uh, in a church altercation, as well as his brother and and my grandfather. Wow, you know, those are such tough stories. I'll tell you the encouraging thing about that is that it didn't drive him away from Christ. He he mm-hmm. he sought to get fed in other ways. Yes, um, and, and you know, my parents taught us that. Uh, you could be as close to the Lord on horseback out in uh, a pasture herding cattle as you can uh, walking uh, down the aisle of a of a church building. Uh, and you know the Lord, um, uh, he uh, he's he's with us everywhere we go. And uh, what he desires is our heart. He he yes. loves us personally yes. and individually. And um, just because we're raised in a Christian nation does not mean that we're a Christian. Yes. Uh, you know, we have to make that decision uh, of our own free volition and we have to choose to acknowledge that we're sinners and we need uh, the forgiveness of Christ. And that, you know, that's why he came and, and, and died for us. Yes. Now, what brought you to that place of vision? You know, the decision, um, it, it was um, a specific time. I had uh, a friend that invited me 
to a James Robinson crusade. And I think I was, I don't know, maybe 14, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he had a crusade uh, in our hometown in, in Roswell, New Mexico. And I went to a crusade. And uh, after the message, you know, he uh, asked people that wanted to invite Christ into their uh, heart to come forward. And I went forward at, a, at the James Robinson crusade. Wow. And how old were you then, Kim? I think 14. 14. Yeah. Wow. And then, like I said, I ended up going in the military um, and uh, served in the military for, uh, uh, I think it was six years. And then um, after I got out, uh, you know, uh, later on, I got away from the Lord. And then, um, you know, the Lord, uh, when I was 33, um, my father uh, he had a, a very big impact in my life and work. He critiqued every painting I did until oh. he passed away. Uh, but he passed away early at the age of 68. Uh, he oh, wow. um, found out about six months before he died that he had terminal cancer. And I had been working with him the last eight years uh, after I got out of the military. Every day I was with him. And uh, so when he passed away, it devastated me. And I remember I was very angry and I was at my home uh, by myself, and I remember picking up a Bible and uh, just in utter frustration and, and hurt, I, I remember I threw the Bible down on the ground, and I, you know, I, was, I, I felt like, man, I can't believe if, if there's a God, I can't believe he would let this person that I love pass away so early. And I threw the Bible down and um, I, um, the Bible hit on its spine and flopped open to Romans chapter six. And I was sort of shocked that it fell open, number one, but Mm -hmm. uh, uh, number two, I picked it up and started reading. And, you know, I had struggled with sin and just uh, with my relationship with the Lord and stuff. And as I got to reading, I got down to verse 14 and it said, sin shall not have dominion over you. And I remember that just broke my heart. And I said, Lord, it has always had dominion over me. And he said, you know what, if you will let me, I will change your life. And that will become a reality for you. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's a constant struggle and a constant walk with the Lord. But, um, you know, that was certainly a point that, uh, that, that changed my, uh, my life and my direction in life. Wow. That's a wonderful story, Kim. And the way that you, you speak of that word just penetrating your heart and then you have being soft and saying, Lord, you know, and the Lord speak to you that this can be a reality. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, boy. And that I, doesn't mean that we can you know, live a sinless life, but it means that the, the, the Holy Spirit uh, will walk with us and, and help us. Uh, you know, we, we all sin and, and uh, it's, a, it's a constant battle. Uh, you know, we live in, a, in a, a fallen world and, you know, there's things that each one of us face. There's each one of us have uh, different struggles that we deal with every single day of our life. Yes. And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit's there to, to help us uh, th- through that and, and, and to help us become more and more like Christ. Yeah. That's oh, his yeah. desire. 
Yeah, isn't that the truth? Oh, that is so good. That is so good. Um, how has we talk about the Holy Spirit beginning to move in your life uh, in these types of areas? How is it He moves and has helped to grow you more in the direction of Christ? Well, I, I think uh, you know. I mean, that's a, a big question, and and uh, that's sort of a vast subject as well. But I, I think, in short, um, you know, the the Holy Spirit lives within us, and whenever we uh, whenever we get into uh, sin or whenever we have struggles, that things that we're struggling with and stuff, just uh, the fact that He is there, and, and that uh, you know, if if we uh, you know. Uh, ask God to mm-hmm. to be with us and to help us through whatever the situation is. Uh, you know, He He is there to to do that for us and to open those doors for us. I think you know the the other thing I I, I know in my life whenever I first um, you know w- when I first began um, making a living as an artist. Uh, you know, you go through all of or at least I went through all of these questions as to you know okay, what, what does that mean as a Christian? Can yes. I paint something different than religious subject matter and still glorify God? Yes. And uh, over time, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and, you know, through different uh, mentors and through different uh, books that I read, uh, I remember reading a book, uh, How Should We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer that just changed my entire view of art. And it helped me to understand that uh, uh, art is a gift that God gives uh, and, and that that gifting is, is meant as a, a vocal um, uh, representation of a culture and of a society. Yeah. And, you know, that my work had value uh, as an artist. And so I began to uh, you know, to see those things. And I began to understand that God's gifting that he had placed in the doors he had opened for me early on were opened for a reason. He mm-hmm. had a purpose for my life. And that, um, you know, I, I guess I uh, sort of was of the impression that, you know, the, the only thing that was, that was Christian is if it was involved in the, the church building. And, you know, I began to understand that, you know, God actually prefers for us not to be in the church building. He prefers to reach people that are not there. He prefers to reach people that are on the street, people that are in nor- our, our, our normal life. And, and so that, uh, I, I think, helped me along uh, uh, as the Holy Spirit uh, spoke to me in those areas. Oh, yeah. Oh, what you just said is so important for artists to hear. Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, church, Ephesians 4.12 tells us the church is there to equip the saints for the work of yeah. the ministry. It's to go out from those doors, just as you've spoken, mm-hmm. and, and to speak to the larger world of a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. And uh, exactly what you have said is so important to really get a hold of. Because that realization had to have just changed everything for you uh, as you yeah, move for forward sure. in, in the arts. Yeah. yeah, and it still does. I mean, it still directs my work. I mean, I I truly believe that that the artist is, is the soul of a society. Mm. And I truly believe if you look at the societies of the past, 
the Roman culture, the Greek culture, the Chinese culture. What we know of those societies today is through the artwork primarily. Yeah. And uh, our art today that we're painting in, in the United States is also a window in time that is to speak to generations to come. I, I firmly believe that. And I believe Western art, if, if you've ever listened to the talk that, I've, uh, that I gave at the Autry a, a year or so ago, um, uh, I, I speak about this uh, in depth. And I, I believe that Western art in particular is totally unique to American society. And that later on down the road, that really will be the art that defines our culture. It's the only artwork that we're doing right now that is totally unique to America. I don't care if the artwork's hanging in Europe or it's hanging in the Middle East or uh, hanging in Indonesia. If you see a piece of artwork that is Western, you immediately recognize it as American art. Yes, that is right. And that you, boy, that is so well said. And when you're putting that Western art out with that biblical worldview behind it, Mm-hmm. you're putting that out into in a very unique way of speaking to people that nobody else can, can, can speak to because of just exactly what you said. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Now, one of the things, Kim, you have done and is that you have developed, the Lord's really brought you to a place that you have done something entirely really different within the Western art world that speaks to that larger audience. But, um, the Lord, we could, you shared already about how the Lord started at a very young age, moving you into as an artist, moving you that direction. How did he move you into this uh, uh, modernist, we'll call it, uh, for lack of a better term, maybe you, you probably have better vocabulary than I, uh, that is so unique to you? Um, I, I started as an impressionist. Uh, what happened... Uh, how I transferred from sculpture to painting. When I was in the military, uh, like I said before, I had, uh, I was stationed in Europe and I couldn't bring all of my sculpture supplies with me. It was just too heavy. And so um, my parents sent me a set of oil paints and I started painting on the, uh, on my days off and, uh, and such and traveling uh, throughout Europe uh, whenever I had time um, and I worked as an impressionist. Uh, I, I was heavily influenced by Monet and Pissarro and uh, Armand Guillemin, uh, uh, some of the American impressionists like Fremont Ellis and Ernest Lawson. Uh, they began to influence my work. And so when I got out of the military, um, I went to school in Dallas uh, for a, a, a couple of years and um, then I moved back to New Mexico and the art dealer that handled my sculpture early on called me one day and he said, Hey, what are you doing now? I uh, heard you're back from, uh, from uh, serving in the military and I'd love to see what you're working on. And so um, we agreed to meet in Santa Fe. He was going to be there, uh, I think a couple of weeks later. And I took maybe 10 paintings with me. We met on the Santa Fe Plaza and he took, uh, I, I think about seven or eight of them back to Scottsdale with him and sold one the next day. And he sent me a check and he said, uh, hey, uh, I uh, already sold one of the paintings, Uh, you know, keep it up and, you know, get busy and see what you can do. 
And uh, it was more money than I'd made the whole month uh, working a, a, um, a regular job. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I, I need to, to uh, start uh, producing more work. And so I, um, you know, um, did about, I don't know, maybe a, a year after that, um, that this was in the early 80s. About a year after that, I got an invitation to join the Society of American Impressionists. And it was a 30-member national organization, and I was invited in as the youngest member. Wow. Anyway, they had their first big show in St. Louis, Missouri. And that show is what changed my life uh, and my work. Um, I went to this uh, the show. Uh, here were all of these great impressionists that I had dreamed of of meeting. I mean, uh, not to mention showing with. I never thought that would happen. And um, I remember going into this building, and it was a huge facility where the art show was at. And I saw one of my paintings way across the room. And so I shot over to go look at it, and I got about. 10 feet from my painting and I realized it was another artist. Oh, wow. And that devastated me. Now, my work sold. That was not the issue. My mm -hmm. work sold out at that show. My work had been selling out at most of the shows. What happened was a heart issue. I realized that, that I had no voice of my own. And so at that point, I left that show in St. Louis, and I knew that, um, you know, if I was ever going to make a mark in the art world, that I was going to have to develop my own voice. Um, I looked at all of the artists that I admired, the, all of the deceased artists that I admired, and what set them apart was a unique style that was different from any other artist. And so if you're standing in a museum and you saw Monet, you recognized it all the way across the room. Or if you saw Van Gogh, you recognized it all the way across the room. And I realized that I had to develop a style that was unique. Um, now I was self-taught. I didn't, you know, I didn't go to uh, um, uh, a university and, uh, uh, and graduate with an art degree. And so mm -hmm. I began trying to pull from all of the different people and artists that I had met in my life, because I felt that if I was going to create something unique, it had to come from within, not from books of, well, let me go through the book and see what artists I like, that it needed to be artists that I, that I knew that I had met. And so, um, you know, I had uh, met artists uh, like um, George O'Keefe when, when I was younger. I met Thomas Hart Benton. I met Peter Hurd. I met Henriette Wyeth and uh, Alexandra Hogue, William Lumpkins. These artists had taken me under their wings, especially Alexandra Hogue, and uh, had mentored me as a young man. And uh, Alexandra Hogue was one of the Dallas Nine, and I ended up having a number of two-person shows with him. He was in his 80s, and I was just in my 20s and a young artist, but he painted so slow he could only reproduce a couple of paintings uh, uh, a year. That's all he produced. Wow. And so for him to have a show... Um, it was uh, necessary for the, the gallery to bring in another artist. And, um, you know, the way God worked it out is they ended up 
picking me as the other artist to show with him. And after the first show, we just sort of formed a bond. Hogue had been mentored by Ernest Blumenschein in Taos in the uh, early 20s and all the way through the 30s and early 40s and uh, would go there almost every year and at times spent three to nine months at a time in Taos. And I think Hogue was at an age in his 80s where he wanted to pass that down and uh, pass that that uh, mentorship into another person. And he ended up passing that on to me and uh, sowed an incredible amount of uh, time into my life. Um, Andre Wyeth was another artist that sowed an incredible amount of time into my life as well as a young artist. And um, I uh, studied with her um, at the uh, Santa Fe uh, Institute of Fine Arts. Uh, and uh, that was probably the only formal education that I ever had uh, as an artist. Wow. What you just said, it's just um, that whole story. I, it reminds me of what the Lord says. This is Psalm 139. And he said, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my wonder and my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful all your work, are your works, O Lord. I know these very well. And when you say it was such a hard issue, I think about mm -hmm. that verse and about how you now, the Lord just quickened that to you. And you began well, it, to speak in the way he's made you. It, and it was not a, uh, an overnight thing. The, yeah. the, this was a four-year struggle of, of um, searching to find my own roots and, and who, who I am. What's my voice as an artist? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, um, you, you know, in, in during that time period, I worked with my father on a, uh, he was writing a book on Emil Bistrom and uh, Bistrom's work had a heavy influence. I also had other artists that, that I knew that were um, uh, abstract expressionists like uh, William Lumpkins. And, you, you know, if you look in my work, it's, it's, it's modernism and it has, uh, all of these different things that are in it, uh, including abstract expressionism and, you know, the high keyed color of, of, of uh, some of the uh, modern like O'Keefe and, um, and yet it has other elements that you are not as evident uh, that come from Henri at Wyeth and, you know, the background work that I do today on my um, historical work, uh, it, it all comes from my study with Henriette Wyeth and the incredible detail that she put into each work before it, before the, the oil uh, ever touched the canvas, all, this incredible detail work that she had, uh, that she did in graphite and such. And so, you know, um, over the course of maybe four years, I, I d began developing this style that was unique. I remember in Santa Fe in 1990 having a show, half of the work was Impressionism, half of the work was the work that I am known for today, the more expressionistic modernism. Mm -hmm. And I remember my father, he was still alive, uh, putting his arm around me and saying, you know, son, I love you, but I think you're making a mistake. You have had so many doors open as an Impressionist. You are a member of a, a, a society, you have collectors all over that uh, your work sells, and I, I don't think it's the right move um, uh, to be going into this new stuff you're doing. Mm -hmm. And um, the next year, that, that show sold out, the Impressionism and the 
the more expressionistic work, modernism that I do today. And the next year my father came and the next year it was all the modernistic work I do today. And I remember uh, it was the last year uh, the, uh, that, that he was alive. And I, I remember he put his arm around me, he said <laughs> the same thing he said the year before. He said, son, I love you. And I want you to know, I think you made the right decision. Oh, wow. And uh, I, you know, the, the, I still remember, and I'm, I'm so thankful that my father was still alive at that time to see where my work was going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he, of course, didn't get to enjoy a lot of the things that my mother has been uh, able to see over, over time and stuff. But um, you know, I'm very grateful for uh, the heavy um, influence that my father had on my life and work. Wow. To have your father come up and say that to you when you, that's a massive shift uh, in terms of you know, mm-hmm. moving the way you were moving and to have him affirm that. I don't think there's any greater uh, affirmation it, from the, a world, you know, an earthly standpoint you can get than to have, yeah, have I, your parents come. It meant that. a lot to me. And over the years, it's meant, meant a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet that you, that's when, when times get kind of low, that's one of the things probably helps keep you moving forward. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah boy. That's very true. Um, now when we talk about making this shift, I know over the years I have uh, talked to lots of different people. And one of the things that uh, they, they really discourage going the direction being so changing things so radically, just like you did and have had such wonderful success at what were some were there other people like uh, that came against you or, or just said you shouldn't be doing this and yeah. if and other kind of downers and then how did the lord carry you through those kim i think that uh, you the, yeah. the, the journey you've been on is uh, you've got you've just got so much to say there well i i think that a lot of people think that oh gosh right up front everybody just loved the work and everybody accepted it and th- that's just not the truth that's not the way it is or, or was um, you know, the, the, you know, most of the people refer to it now as New West, but uh, it was not accepted at first. And, um, you know, whether uh, it's Billy Shank or, or Ed Mel or my work or um, uh, other artists that uh, have uh, ha- had that struggle, it, it's been a difficult path, and, and at, especially at first. Because um, Western realism is what uh, what was um, you know the proper genre, uh, and you know here you have um, other artists that are doing something that is just so far removed from from that, and I you know I I think that people have to understand, uh, and, and I certainly felt this early on. What, what I what I watched I watched children. And my desire was to reach children and to influence them to love Western art. And there are people in all walks of life, there are people that love Western realism. There are people that love abstract art. There are people that love Fauvism. There are people that love all of these different types of work. Uh, there's not a, a, a work, a, a, a true style of work that is the proper style because there's no person that's the same. 
And mm -hmm. so uh, we're all meant to communicate uh, differently. And every artist is meant to communicate in a, a unique way. Even your work as a sculptor is different than Schaefer's work or, or some of the other uh, you know, great sculptors uh, of the past. And yet the subject matter may be the same. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think with my work uh, early on, you know, I remember the first year I was invited to the Autry Museum uh, to the Masters of the American West. Uh, they had uh, their first show in 1998 and John Garrity called me and he um, he always called me Doug. He said, Doug, I want to invite you to a, a, a show we're doing. We're trying to break some new ground and I want to try something different. And that was my work that was different. And he said, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Uh, it may be a one and done type thing. I'm not sure. Let's just see what happens. Mm -hmm. But he took a chance with me and he invited me. And I remember when I showed up at the Autry, Kevin Redstar and my work were sort of the two odd oddballs uh, at the show. Mm -hmm. And we were, our work was hanging right at the back of the room and Kevin was on one side of a door and I was on the other. And I remember looking over at Kevin and smiling and looking to the left above the door and it said exit. Oh. And I, I looked at Kevin, I said, I wonder if this is a sign for us. <laughs> and, and we both laughed and stuff. But then over time, our work began moving up toward the middle of the show. And then um, you know, the, the last few years, uh, you know, I've been blessed and, you know, Kevin's work and my work uh, uh, is, it's not the only work that uh, is in the genre that you might call New West. And there are young artists that are, that are uh, up and, uh, and coming that are doing uh, work. And so the show feels like, oh gosh, it, this feels like this has always been, you know, the, the way it's, be, you know, it's always been this way. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it's been something over time. And at first it's, it's, it was very discouraging. And at first um, the shows, uh, it was not whether my work would sell at the show. It was whether I could get in the show. And so you just, uh, you know, you struggle and you keep going. And over the course of 10 years and over the course of 20 years and over the course of 30 years, and for me, over the course of 40 years, uh, things change and people's minds begin to change. Those children that I looked to at first to see what their response was uh, concerning my work, um, uh, they have grown up and some of those young people are collectors now mm -hmm. and so uh, it, it's a it's a long road and, and I think that we have to follow our heart and not get discouraged we have to remember that we have a gifting that God has given us and it is totally unique no one else is created like we are and that unique gift is meant to be shared with other people it's meant to enrich their lives it's meant to change their lives the greatest compliment I have ever received, and I've had a number of people say this to me, they'll come up to me and they'll say, you know, I don't know what it is about your work. It just makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we can change somebody's life and, you know, I hope that there's more depth to my work 
uh, as well in other respects when you look at other elements of my work. But if we can change somebody's life, if they come home from a rough day and they walk into their home and that work of art transports them into another world, then we've done our job as an artist, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is boy you said so much there uh that is so good and you know all of the things all of that you put into your work from all for all these years but then you think about the design all of the different components of it that all comes together to make that person be uplifted and to be uh picked up because mm -hmm. of, of all that work that you have uh, that you've put into it every day when i walk out at sunset or every morning at sunrise I'm reminded that God's the greatest artist mm -hmm. and that his creation speaks to who he is. And yeah. if we can translate that through our work, if I'm doing a landscape, for example, and I can translate the fact that the heavens declare the glory of God mm. and the firmament shows forth his handiwork, like it says in Psalm 19, then I am speaking to them just just like the beauty of this creation speaks to to a person. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is boy, what a great connection to make him. Um, somebody needed to hear that. That it's so critical to have that mindset as a, as an artist, a disciple of Christ, who is doing work through and for Him. That that is exactly what's taking place. Because as you said earlier, so often we don't think that way. Have you had in your faith, you talked about some of your mentors in, in your art. Have you had any mentors in your faith that have really, uh, really been impactful to you? Um, you know, in my faith, probably the biggest impact, uh, when I lived in Germany, um, there was a pastor named Frank Combs. And he was a, a missionary, uh, an American missionary. He was Native American. And he was Cherokee, mm -hmm. and he had a little Baptist church uh, in the town I lived in. It was uh, Darmstadt, Germany. And he probably had the biggest influence in my life as far as uh, Christian influences. Um, I, I was uh, sort of, uh, he sort of took me under his wing, and he and his wife would, um, you know, have me over uh, to their uh, house and stuff when I um, I remember when I got to Germany, you know, as a, a young person in the service, I knew nobody. And I remember on Sunday, uh, I would go and, and walk um, just uh, the, the little village. I'd walk through the village and I happened to walk um, uh, on one of my walks. I came up to this window and the window was painted and it said Lighthouse Baptist Church. Oh, yeah. And it had the service hours and stuff. And I remember uh, the next Sunday, because uh, this was like a Sunday afternoon, I was like, okay, the next Sunday, I'm going to try and go there. And I remember, uh, you know, he and his wife were so kind to me and they sort of uh, took me under their wing and they uh, uh, on uh, on Sundays would have me over to their house and I'd have a real home cooked meal and uh, he would visit with me about Christ and uh, I think really grounded me in my faith. Mm. Um, more than any other person. Oh boy. And boy, that's such an important time too. When you're, you know, at that age in the service, mm -hmm. all the rest of the challenges, being away from home, all of that. What is it that, what does being an artist for Christ mean to you? 
Yeah, I, um, you know, being an artist for Christ, I, I think that, um, I, I think for the most part, it, it sort of speaks uh, along the, the same lines the, that I was uh, talking to. I, I believe that as, a, as an artist, that we are the soul of a society. Um, if, um, you know, I, I mentioned Francis Schaeffer's book. Yes. And in his book, he talks about the decline of Western civilization. And you can follow that decline through the artwork. Um, the, the zenith of every great society, I'm going to pick Roman culture because it's easy to see. You can see the, the zenith of Roman culture by the creativity in the artwork at that time. And then as that society began to decline and the morals of the society began to decline and such, you see that the art began to just be a copy of the former zenith artwork and and so they not only did they begin to decline as a society the artwork itself and the creativity also declines at the same time and so for me as an artist I feel that my, and this is one of the reasons that I, I feel that my work has to be different. I have to create something that speaks to people in a new way. My job as an artist is to make sure as much as, uh, there's lots of artwork that, that speaks in a negative way to our society. Yes. There's lots of negative things about our society, the immorality in our society, the issues that we struggle with, and, and the things that you see on TV every day. Um, but there also needs to be that fight on the other side for good, yes. to maintain yes. the good, and to uh, maintain the creativity and the uniqueness that has made America great. Uh, and so, um, you know, my, uh, you know, uh, in my relationship with my work, that is a constant battle for me to make sure that my work is growing, that my work is unique. Uh, I paint the West, and so I want to paint an artwork of the West, depicting the West that is different so that that child, you know, that maybe is bored with uh, seeing a painting by somebody that they heard of named Charles M. Russell will walk in and see my work. It might be of the same subject, but they'll walk in and they'll walk up to my painting and stand in front of it and look at it. And, you know, all of a the sudden they want to invest in history. They were like, well, what's this about? And they, they start, you know, wanting to read about the West and about, you know, uh, these guys that were called cowboys and, you know, the Native American culture and what that meant. Uh, and and I, I think that, um, you know, if we can draw them back to our roots, I think that that is what my job is as an, as an artist. And those are the struggles that I seek to, you know, maintain and the battles that I face every day is mm -hmm. making sure that my work is, is unique in, in that respect so that it, uh, uh, you know, fights, uh, stands along the battle line there to, to uh, place something good in our society, something mm -hmm. of value, something mm -hmm. that uplifts people. Oh, boy, that's, 
you know, that's so good. Uh, and your work certainly does that. I'll never forget the first time that we were in the uh, Night of Artists show. We walked in and your work was right in the front there. And it was like, bam. And the, that it has such an impact right from the get-go. And I had seen, you know, because they previewed some of it in, the, in some of the magazines. Uh, but to see it in person, you, the work really does that. And it, it draws you in, and it's it is very uplifting. Your stamp, whether it's a stampede scene, this the uh, the Alamo scenes mm-hmm. that you've done, it, those types of mm-hmm. things. It certainly is that you're accomplishing that. Uh, and what is, and as you said, it is something the world desperately needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what makes for a good painting in your mind? Good solid painting. Um, you know, I think the 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 first thing I would say probably is the story. Uh, I really look at myself as a storyteller. And my grandfather, I remember uh, when I was a kid uh, at night, he would uh, share these incredible stories um, uh, of when he was a young man and uh, taking cattle. Uh, 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 I remember he said he went on his first cattle drive when he was 14 years old. And he would have these wonderful stories. And it was so exciting to me. And so for me, I I think my finest work is work that is related uh, as a storyteller Mm. and and that it speaks to people in in that respect. And much like a, a fairy tale does to children where they open the book and they can't wait to get to the next page. Mm. And so uh, I, I try to have that magical quality in my work. And, uh, and so I'm going to say the story, uh, first of all. And then I would say probably the, the design, uh, the composition of the work um, is, is, is very, very important to me. Uh, I tend to exaggerate. I have linear distortion and such in my work. And um, I sort of paint in an exaggerated sort of, I'm, I'm going to call it a, a type of shorthand. Uh, you'll have a secretary that goes in and you'll have the boss um, speaking at a committee meeting or whatever, and she's taking shorthand or a judge in a court is she's taking shorthand. And so um, my work is a type of shorthand if you look at it and mm. the clouds or the trees uh, uh, I, I use uh, different techniques that uh, artists of the past have used. Uh, I remember when I was younger uh, in Europe looking at Van Gogh's sketches uh, from his sketchbook, and then there was a painting nearby, and I noticed how he had this shorthand uh, through his sketches that he translated into his brushwork in his painting. And it always uh, sort of stuck in my mind. And so my work has sort of that kind of a, of, of a shorthand uh, a quality to it that I think makes, uh, uh, you know, uh, for an important aspect, aspect of the painting. And then I'm going to say the color. Um, you know, my work, I remember as a young boy walking in my uncle's studio and my mouth would start watering. And mm. I never understood what was going on. And... Uh, Finally, uh, after I was grown, I, I uh, remember walking in Europe, I, I walked into a candy store and my mouth started watering. And oh. I realized that color translates into taste. Mm. 
and that those uh, colors that I was seeing as a young boy in my artist, my uncle's art, artistic studio uh, that he had, uh, he was a great colorist and uh, never sold much of anything, uh, you know, but his work was, uh, you know, always hanging all over the, it was all on the walls and all on the floor and all over the place. And my, that's why my mouth would start watering. And so I, I feel a, a very uh, strong affinity to color. And uh, you'll pick up all, all immediately uh, if you, uh, especially if you see uh, a show with my work hanging next to other artists and stu stuff, you'll see um, why I use uh, color and, and how, um, you know, how valuable I, I feel that that is to, to, the, uh, to the artist, uh, mm -hmm. certainly for my artistic endeavor. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's very interesting. I'm trying to communicate with yes. the senses that people have yes. to relate with. God, God's given us certain senses. You know that is really uh, very observant, very astute. Uh, how you you've put these pieces together, Kim? I, I think that is so fascinating. The Lord's given you such a uh, a, a unique way of doing it, but then the ob observational skills. To, to put these pieces together in terms of the art that you create and then to, to bring those things together in it. Uh, ready to wind her up here. Um, is there a particular passage of scripture that the Lord has been ministering to you recently? Um, you know, if I'm going to share a particular passage of scripture, I probably um, should, should share something like uh, out of Romans eleven twenty nine. Um, that's something that's constantly um, at the forefront of my mind. And I have certain um, artists that, especially younger artists that, uh, you know, contact me and, and visit with me about things. And that's a passage in Romans eleven twenty nine, and it's the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Mm. And, you know, I, I really believe that each person is totally unique, to totally unique. And you have been given a gift by God, just like I have. And, you know, God created you totally unique for a reason. And it's to touch the lives of the people around you. God never takes his gift away. He never is sorry for giving the gift. Um, uh, he gives those gifts out of his loving heart for the beauty to, to, to truly fill the lives of those people that are around you. There's people that are struggling and that are hurting all around us. Yeah. And they might be your neighbor. They might be in your family. They might be a friend. It might be your child. It might be your husband or your wife. And those gifts have been placed within you to change their life and to help them and to strengthen them and to build them up. And so um, that, that's probably the passage that I, that, that I would, uh, that I would go to, uh, you know, the gifts and calling of God were without, are without repentance. Mm. And, you know, God has given those gifts to you. Nobody else can do what you can do. No, nobody. You're the only person that can use that gift properly. And, uh, you know, if you're just willing, you know, God will change not only your life, but the lives of those people you come in contact with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is such a good word. Thank you, Kim, for that. And we'll wrap it up with that. We can't go. You That just closes it out wonderfully. Thank you, Kim, so much 
for taking the time out to be on the show and for everything you shared. Uh, good grief. There is so much wisdom. And just to see the Lord moving and how, how the things that you shared are just fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Well, Kurt, thank you for having me. And I, uh, I hope everybody is, uh, is blessed through this. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure that they will be. And disciples, listeners, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Now, don't forget to like and to share or give a review or a rating on your favorite platform. Now, you can keep in touch with me on Instagram or on Gab at The Creator's Calling. And the music on the podcast is by Chris Madsen Worship. And you can follow him on Instagram or YouTube at Chris Madsen Worship. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And please join me next time as together we follow Jesus and listen for The Creator's Calling. Bye for now.